We have a little bit of a, a mantra here we call be the hero. You know, you can be the hero. If you know that there's a severe storm that's affecting one of your family or friends, call them. Don't hesitate to call them. Make sure that they know that someone is personally interested in their safety so that they would go to the right place. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by John DeBlock, Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service. John, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to be with you. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and our topic today is tornadoes, specifically tornado safety lessons from the 2011 super outbreak. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and your role at the National Weather Service? Sure. Well, I've been a operational meteorologist now for coming up on 40 years. I began my experience with the United States Air Force, had a number of assignments around the country, a little bit of time overseas, settled in the National Weather Service eventually here in Alabama in 1999. I came in as a journey forecaster, got promoted to a lead forecaster, and then finally the warning coordination meteorologist position in 2009. It's been a, a wonderful career, and I, I just love what I'm doing. The opportunity as warning coordination meteorologist to reach out to people and to try to educate them, inform them, and hopefully make sure we're providing everything we need to to our customers, partners, and the public. Fantastic. Well, that deep many years of experience probably gives you an amazing perspective on things because sometimes you just have to be in the trenches to see the patterns and things like that to make more sense. So this will be great. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it takes a lot of experience from all different roads, time in the Air Force, different parts of the country, different weather phenomenon that we see from time to time. It all builds together to have experience to do what we do today. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, coming to the topic at hand, it was about 10 years ago on an otherwise completely normal April day, it seemed like, that the 2011 super outbreak rapidly developed into what was the largest, costliest, and frankly, most importantly, deadliest tornado outbreak ever recorded. In total, there were about, and correct me if I'm wrong, 360 tornadoes confirmed by the National Weather Service in 21 states literally ranging from Texas to New York. So what was that experience like for you as a meteorologist and for all the people impacted by the storm? Well, you mentioned it was like any other April day. It really wasn't like any other April day. We had a tremendous amount of information leading up to the event. Seven days ahead of the event, we were, we were looking at it. And that day, it, it was the culmination of a week-long kind of a ramp up to the event. Using words like Armageddon, when you're talking to your partners, that doesn't happen very often, fortunately. Wow. But it was all hands on deck. It was use the most, the strongest wording that you can to try to elicit an appropriate response from your partners and the public. It was a day like none of us had ever experienced. And hopefully it's a day that none of us will ever experience again. Just a, a tremendous day, 62 tornadoes in the state of Alabama in one day. Mm. That exceeds the annual numbers for any number of years. So we had more than a year's worth of tornadoes. That's, that's above the average yearly number of tornadoes, actually, in just one day. So it was a, 
an incredible day. Warnings were issued from four in the morning until nearly midnight. Just an incredible period of time where we had shift after shift coming in, people coming in, being relieved, keeping on with the same job of issuing warnings to protect life and property. You know, there's this concept of like the 500-year flood where it could reach these levels after, you know, every 500 years on average. Is there something similar like that for tornadoes where, I mean, clearly this happened. Is it like, but it only happens once every 100 years, 500 years, something like that? Well, I I wish it was that infrequently. These are referred to as generational tornado events. You go back to 1974, the Xenia, Ohio super outbreak, and it actually affected portions of Alabama. So most of the people across the country would recognize the Xenia, Ohio event. And certainly in Alabama, the Gulen, Alabama tornadoes of 1974 associated with that outbreak, folks will remember that. You go back from 1974 back to 1932, I believe it was, where there was a significant outbreak of similar magnitude in Alabama. Back from there, 1896. So 35 to 40 year periodicity, something in that kind of a range is the type of event we're looking at. Okay, that actually helps put perspective on it. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind speaking with our listeners about it, I'm sure they'd appreciate your perspective as someone who experienced the event firsthand as it was unfolding and you had some of that foresight that many people didn't. So what did it feel like as a weather professional to be in the path of a storm that you knew was coming and would impact so many people? When we're in school as meteorologists, you learn of the historic events. And you think, wow, wouldn't that be cool to be, you know, forecasting for that event? Their textbook case, Ted Fujita did a lot of his work with that 1974 outbreak and became the expert in tornado, estimating tornado wind speeds from that outbreak. And, you know, you kind of look forward to it from a scientific standpoint. But then at some point, your scientific interest, your curiosity, you know, you're a firefighter, you know all about fire behavior, you're, you can't wait to apply your craft and save lives. But then you get in the situation, and you're like, oh, man, this is real. Mm. This is it's everything that they said it was in the textbook. And here we are in the middle of a textbook situation. And it's going to get bad. When it started unfolding, I don't know that any of us in our wildest dreams imagined what it was going to be like. It just did not go that way. I was asked a question recently about the emotions that you felt, and it was a very emotional event. You know, it's theoretical when you're looking at the radar, but then in our situational awareness screens that were up on the wall, there was live footage from the tornadoes going through the areas. You could see it off in the distance, going through Tuscaloosa, and it became very, very real at that point in time you realize that the storms that you were looking at on this display in this computer were affecting people's lives and perhaps taking people's lives as well. Yeah. Some of our staff had to take take a break and collect themselves and come back in, refocus on the mission and say, okay, I realize there's going to be damage and potentially fatalities here, but we have to do our mission to save as many lives as possible. So later on in the day, I had done my work on April 27th, 2011 from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I went home and I was a user. I was on the other end of the customer partner relationship as a citizen. I was watching local news, went home from the event, had dinner, collected the family. We had to make a decision where we were going to shelter. Mm. Did we want to shelter in our home, which is on a slab? It's a two-story home. There's no trees around us. So I've 
felt fairly confident. I didn't have to worry about any trees impacting our home. The choice was our in-laws house or my in-laws house, my wife's parents. They have a basement, but they have lots of trees around their home. So we opted to pick the basement as our best location to shelter. Then as the evening progressed and the storms were approaching, when you're watching your local broadcast and your street that you are on is named, that is an incredibly humbling experience to yeah. know what I, I mean to know what I know about storms and what we were expecting. To hear that street called out was very humbling experience. You know, you sit there and you listen to see what's going on outside, and there was a power blip or two. The storm, fortunately, as it passed over us, had lifted, but there was still sufficient wind at the surface to cause some tree branches to hit the power lines and have some power arcing. We never did really lose power, but as the storm, I was fairly confident the storm had passed. You know, we picked our heads up out of the basement and looked around and and we were okay. Yeah, That's an incredible experience and, you know, did not enjoy it. We did the best we could. We picked our best location for shelter. We tried to stay as aware as we could of what was going on and we came out okay. No, that's fantastic. I mean, I lived in Missouri and Kansas for a number of years, and there was nothing more frightening than being awoken in the middle of the night to those alarms going off, the sirens. You can't explain it until you're in the middle of it. It's very, very scary. You just don't know what's going to hit you. It's like mortars being shot at you, and you don't know if it's going to land in your foxhole or not. Right. It's incoming. It's inbound. You know the potential of what would happen if the tornado does hit you, and you just pray and hope that it's not you and that it misses you somehow. Yeah. Well, you certainly, as you mentioned, come to the table with a different viewpoint than most, knowing about how the sausage is made, basically. But what were your perceptions of the outbreak before it hit in general? Did you think it was going to be anywhere near as significant as it was based on your research and forecast? I mean, can you really predict the number, strength, and severity of a tornado outbreak? The answer is yes. Hmm. We had an idea that it was going to be a very significant event based on the computer models, the projections, some of the parameters that we follow. There's a parameter that's called the significant tornado parameter that the computer models spit out for us was off the charts. Values that had never been seen in anyone's recollection. The amount of shear, the the jet stream, all the dynamics of a system like this that come together to produce tornadoes were looking like that textbook case and above and beyond what we had seen in our textbook cases when we were being trained on severe weather. So we knew it was going to be bad, but there's still, you know, your conception of what it's going to be versus the reality of how bad it was. It just didn't match up. We could not project that image in our mind as to how bad it actually was. And it seems like people forget. So it takes someone like you with all these years of experience to remind the next generation that didn't live through something like that to say, yes, the textbook isn't lying. What we're seeing is real and it really could get this bad. It's very challenging in my job as a warning coordination meteorologist. Apathy is is something that happens. We have a big event. We'll go months, perhaps years without another event anywhere near that. And to try to motivate people to protect themselves, even though it's not going to be as bad as April 27th, we fight that battle constantly. We, we constantly have to remind everyone that this is not April 27th, but you need to be prepared because it only takes one tornado that hits your home for that event to be your April 27th. Yeah, that's always the constant challenge. And I would say that, you know, generally speaking, many people have a very natural curiosity and fascination with weather. I mean, it, it affects everyone. It seems to be the icebreaker of choice for just about any conversation out there. But 
how do you get people to move from curiosity and complaining about a storm to just downright active preparation? We really rely on our media partners to preach that message of preparation, to take the words that we say here at the Weather Service, provide the advice that we give, and then communicate it out to the masses. Of course, we try to reach out to our followers on social media, very active campaign that we have in social media for awareness and preparation. People will come to us and follow us and ask what to do. We keep preaching the same message. And now, if you've been following us a while, you're going to hear that message over and over and over. But I have to say, with one of the tornado events we had earlier this year, March 25th, I believe it was, we went out and talked to a number of tornado victims And they had all done the right thing. People that lived in manufactured homes had gone to safer surroundings, to safer shelters. People that had shelters available to them went to them. We had a lot of people talking about, hey, I went to my shelter and I came back and my house was gone. It was unlivable. People are starting to catch on, I think. We're hopeful here in central Alabama that the message is working. It is getting out to people and they are following that advice and doing the right things when tornadoes approach. What about the issue of the, quote, false alarm, where you predict several things correctly and people believe you, but then that trust gets broken when you predict something and it is nowhere near as bad as you thought? The false alarm issue, the chicken little syndrome yes. is is real. People, if they are warned too frequently and don't see results, they're prone to not follow your advice the next time a warning is issued. So we looked at our performance here at the office and took a look at the environmental conditions that are most favorable for tornadic development. And we found an area where in the past we had maybe issued too many warnings. The conditions weren't quite right. We really didn't understand what to look for. So we found a few keys in the data that indicated if we held off warnings until it reached a certain value, that we would decrease our false alarm rate. Lo and behold, we implemented that strategy and we did decrease our false alarm rate. Ultimately, when we issue warnings, we want the folks to have the confidence that we are serious. And if we issue a warning, there's a very good chance that there's going to be a tornado. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fantastic lessons learned and something you tweaked. What are some other takeaways or lessons learned as you look back on the events of 2011 overall? Wow. You know, social media has really exploded in the in the 10 years since April 27, 2011. Yeah. The power that that has, the tools. Man, if we had had social media and we had had smartphones back then like we have now, I think we would have potentially, I'd just throw a number out there, maybe decrease the number of fatalities by a half. How so? Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like, how does that help? Well, I, I think the smartphones with wireless emergency alerts, which uh, are on pretty much every smartphone now, if you're driving down the road and you drive into a tornado, tornado warned area, your phone's going to go off and say, you are now in a tornado warned area. There's apps on the phones. People can subscribe to services and apps so that they get a text message, they get a phone call or an email that there's severe weather that's approaching them. We just have so many more tools now than we had in 2011. The other lesson learned, I think, is from a social science standpoint, understanding how people respond to messages, what words are better to be used to try to elicit the proper response of going to the shelter. One of the big lessons we learned was through the social scientists that a lot of times that personal message from somebody that picks up a phone and calls you can be the ultimate 
decision maker for you. It's one thing for you to think, well, I, I need to go to my safe place. But when mom calls you up or your mm-hmm. wife or your child calls you yeah. up and says, hey, I see there's a tornado coming. Are you in your safe place? Okay, I'll go to my safe place. You yeah. know, that might happen a little bit quicker. So we've actually kind of grasped that concept. And we have a little bit of a, a mantra here we call be the hero. You know, you can be the hero. If you know that there's a severe storm that's affecting one of your family or friends, call them. Don't hesitate to call them. Make sure that they know that someone is personally interested in their safety so that they would go to the right place. Personally, I'm, I'm that guy that in the grocery line is my ears are up and I hear him talking about the weather and I'll say, hey, you know, there's severe weather coming today or tomorrow. Do you have a way to get messages? So I kind of go a little overboard perhaps from time to time, but I don't hesitate. <laughs> And in my job, it would just be, I think, irresponsible of me not to say something when I hear people talking about the weather. So I kind of carry my job with me wherever I go. That's great. But, but that's okay. <laughs> it is. I love the passion. That's fantastic. And I think to your point, communication is absolutely so vital. I mean, that's what we do here at Alert Media. It's all about improving communication, because if you can do that, you can affect outcomes in a positive way. But to your point, it needs to be done in a way that people trust it. And typically, if you can personalize it, that absolutely dramatically increases the, the trust ratio. So that's that's great. Let me touch on something else. One of the other things that we learned was the importance of having multiple ways of getting that message. Typically what happens is when you get one warning, it kind of piques your curiosity and and you kind of, you want some confirmation of that. A lot of people will do something that we don't necessarily advise. They'll go to the window and they'll look outside to see what's going on. So that's why, you know, we really like the age of technology we're in now where you you see that warning on TV or you hear it on the radio, you click a button on your smartphone and you get, you get another confirmation that, yes, indeed, there is a tornado warning issued for me. So having multiple ways to receive that weather message, that weather warning is very important to getting people to do the right things. There's also a, a reliability factor as well. If you know that you have two or three ways of getting a message, If one of those fails, and let's face it, technology is great, but it can be fragile sometimes. Cell phone towers go out, batteries run down. There are a number of things that could go wrong. So if you know you have kind of a swarm of notification devices and you're going to get multiple notifications, that's the best approach that we recommend everyone takes when it comes to severe weather. Well, it's it's great to hear you say that too, with all your years of experience. I mean, that's what we preach here constantly at Alert Media, and we offer a multi-channel notification system and tell people all the time, send, send your messages out over multiple channels because to your point, things can fail. And it's super important to have that multi-channel availability. Well, looking forward to the future, there have been some predictions out there that La Nina could supercharge this year's tornado season. Are you and your colleagues seeing similar trends and patterns that would lend credence to those reports? You're absolutely right, Peter. We are observing exactly what you say, that La Nina pattern, other long-term kind of trends in the weather patterns that lend themselves to a very active tornado season. It takes a specific type of ingredients or a combination of ingredients for us to have an active severe season. We need to have lots of warm, moist air out of the Gulf of Mexico, jet stream energy that comes south out of the northern latitudes and kind of mixes and has a little confrontation over the southeastern United States. In fact, we have already had an active season in Alabama. We've had 40 tornadoes in the month of March, which set a record for us. It's kind of unusual to have 
that early of a start and that rapid a start to our severe weather season. Hopefully it's kind of an indication, maybe we'll have an early start and an early finish. But indeed, when we look at that long-term pattern, we are prepared for what could be a significant severe weather season in Alabama. Well, let's hope it just passes quickly here and we get to a on to hurricane season, and that's not bad either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking forward to the month of June. Let's just put it that way. Right, exactly. All right. Well, we typically close out each episode by asking our guests to give the listeners an important takeaway or a piece of advice they can use to just immediately make a difference at their organization. So in, in your mind, what can the audience do today to help them become better prepared for tornadoes? The most important thing that we try to communicate to people is to have a plan Know what your plan is, know how to respond, practice that plan. And then when the event comes to go ahead and invoke that and and activate your plan and, and get to safety. A very important part of that is having the proper shelter. The ultimate shelter is a FEMA rated shelter that would protect you from winds up to 250 miles per hour. It's tested against missiles hitting it. It's a very safe and secure rating for a shelter. We realize that not everybody can do that. That doesn't have the resources to do a FEMA rated shelter. So from there, we go to the other sheltering rules, the small interior room at the lowest level of a building. It's been proven time and time again that that's a place where you can survive a tornado. Every time I go out and I look at tornado damage, it's amazing how frequently that rule is reinforced by people that walk away, their home is destroyed, but they were in that interior bathroom and they Mm. walked away from it with just a scratch and and a very interesting story to say, let's just put it that way. So having that shelter is very important. And then I think the, the crux that we mentioned earlier, having multiple ways to get that weather information is very, very important. Whether it's a weather radio, those are, I call them smoke detectors for the weather, about $30 to $40. You have a very specific device that does one thing. It's not going to make coffee and wake you up. No, it, does, it has one job, and that's to get you out of your bed or out of your chair to your safe place when a weather warning is issued. And it's very successful at doing that. So NOAA Weather Radio, it's a great resource to have, and everybody should have one especially in the southeastern United States. Whether you have an app on your phone or your local emergency manager might have a service that you can subscribe to to get notified of messages, severe weather messages, other local emergencies. There's many, many tools that are available for you. There's really, in today's age of technology, there's no excuse for you to not get notification for severe weather warning. And then finally, be the hero. Be the person that makes sure everybody that you know and love is aware that there's severe weather coming, the potential, hey, there's severe weather forecast tomorrow, do you know that? And then finally, if a warning is issued, to go ahead and call the people that are in the polygon that the National Weather Service issues and let them know that you're concerned about them and you want to make sure they're in their safe place you might be the difference that saves that person's life. Mm, no, that's fantastic advice. And one additional point I'm just curious about, like what if you find yourself in an area where there is nowhere to go? There is no small interior room. What are you supposed to do? Well, you know, we tell people not to put themselves in that situation. It, I know it's a little bit easy to say, but that's really the truth. You've got to be weather aware, especially here in Alabama. We know that peak severe weather season in spring is March, April, and May. 
we have a secondary peak in severe weather from the middle of November to the end of December. You've got to know to be looking out for the potential. When the potential is identified, you've got to know what your plan is. You've got to have a plan on where to go. One of the things that really irks me is when I'm looking up at the traffic cameras and there's tornado warnings issued for central Birmingham and there's people out on the roads. I'm, I don't understand how you can be there. You've got to put safety first when it comes to tornadoes because you might not get a second chance. Yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I really enjoyed the episode and we absolutely appreciate your time, all your expertise, the many years of it and advice. And if anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? My email is john.dblock at noaa.gov or go to the weather.gov slash BMX webpage and, and shoot our webmaster an email there. They, they'll forward it on to me. Be happy to talk to anybody about the preparation for severe weather so that we can protect life and property wherever you may be. Wonderful. I know you guys definitely do that with when, whoever's interested. So thank you for again offering that. And please, listeners out there, take them up on it. <laughs> and then everybody, thanks again for taking time to be with us today on this episode of the Employee Safety Podcast. And for everyone else out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.